welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABC podcast is founder of Aries Elite Sports Vision, Dr. Joe LaPlaca. Dr. LaPlaca is a Janesville, Wisconsin native. He did his undergraduate work at Marquette and has a doctor of optometry degree from the Illinois College of Optometry in Chicago. Dr. LaPlaca is an adjunct professor at Butler University and works with the Butler baseball team. He's also the optometrist for the Final Four. Although all of us in the baseball industry understand how important vision is to the game, we're still on the ground floor of how to train that in our athletes. Dr. LaPlaca and I bounce around on a bunch of different topics here as it pertains to vision and performance. It should be a great starting point for anyone trying to implement vision training. Dr. LaPlaca gives us some great resources and actionable tips. We also discuss concussion research that is out there as well. Let's welcome Dr. Joe LaPlaca to the podcast. Here with Dr. Joe LaPlaca, uh, founder of Aries Elite Sports Vision, and uh, trained to see like the elite. I love it. And then graduated from Marquette, and then doctor of optometry from Illinois College in Chicago. So did I miss anything on the intro? No, that's good. Okay, that's cool. Good. And yeah. shout out to Dr. Onadi for hooking us up. Um, he's He's been tremendous, him and Dr. Joe Eisenman. They've kind of pointed me in the right direction on some of our outlier episodes of things that we don't normally attack, but are still very, very helpful for our coaches and, and the players that listen in as well. Yeah, Jimmy's awesome guy. I mean, I've known him for a few months now and um, super smart, super uh, visionary as far as all that stuff goes. So <clears throat> it's been really fun to have discussions with him about how what, what he's doing and how it kind of connects in, what I'm doing, how it connects in and how it's all related to baseball and um it's been really fun yeah this is a unique crew um i love it because it is all hands on deck I, I love the community that you guys have because you're all trying to help and drive this thing forward at, at every level and the byproduct it, it helps us then as well yeah take us through your path i know you're from janesville wisconsin but but take us through your path and how you got to where you're at right now yeah, so I was actually born in Chicago. 
um, raised in Wisconsin. My dad got a job transfer to uh, the General Motors power plant in Janesville. Grew up there, uh, a Bears fan in Packer country. So that was that was fun. Uh, then I went to uh, Marquette University for my undergrad with a major in biology, minor in chemistry, and wanted to do something uh, in the health services space, but I didn't really want to do surgery, didn't want to have that on-call responsibility and those high-pressure situations wasn't really something for me. So it was between dentistry, optometry, and chiropractic, and I went to Illinois College of Optometry and fell in love with with the school. Um, So I did four years there in Chicago and then stayed in Chicago for another five years, met my wife. She got a job in Indiana and ultimately ended up here. So, um, you know, I did corporate optometry for a few years and in 2018, I started Aries Elite Sports Vision because it's just something that I've wanted to do for since 2009 when I graduated. So, um, you know, we finally took the plunge and hit the road running. What drew you into the sports world? I mean, was it something growing up wise, uh, sports world wise, why you wanted to jump into that side? Because I know the corporate side's not for everybody. I've had multiple players that went into the the real world on the corporate side and were like, I, this isn't for me. I want to get back into the sports area. I played sports, every sport you could imagine growing up. I mean, um, hockey, baseball, football, soccer, wrestling, first degree black belt. Uh, you know, the, I, I mean, volleyball, it's, it's, it, it's in my blood. And when I was at, at optometry school, I was like, why is there not, why, why are people not doing more in this space? Because there is such a connection between how you play your sport and visually how, how you function. And it was this like anomaly that people were like, well, you can do it as like kind of a side business, but it's never going to be a full practice. Um, and I just, I didn't believe it. I mean, um, and so that's really what, you know, as the tech started to grow and as all these other things started to kind of come together, I could see the picture of training and sports training and how the visual visual system is related and how that all kind of goes together. Yeah. What is your definition of elite vision? Uh, so visual, so I think there's different steps to elite vision, right? I think if we're looking at elite vision from a visual acuity, meaning how clearly you see, we're looking at the 20 over 15 and above, meaning their visual acuity is better than what the normal population can see at 20 feet. Yeah, because MLB is 20 over 13. That That's right. what it is. So, you know, for visual acuity, on, that's on average at the big league levels, 20 over 13. Right. So we're looking we're looking in the range of 20 over 10 for what I really think we should be striving for for these guys. And that's what mine was. I, I I tell people that all the time. I'm like, I don't think I had a great swing, but my eyes worked better than everybody else's. So I just was predisposed to seeing the ball a little bit better. So you, you talk about that. Like, how do you train for that piece, for the visual acuity piece? So that piece is really, it's not really a trainable piece, right? Like we need to use glasses or contact lenses um, to improve your your vision but everybody should be getting checked out i mean it's it's something that is just so overlooked that like boggles my mind like i work with with butler and 40 percent of their kids had not had an eye exam 
ever in their life. Not like within the last few years, like ever, because they thought, oh yeah, I, I got made it to D1. I don't need a, a vision exam, but like, imagine if we could get you seeing that much clearer, that much faster. Now, what does that do to your judgment on what pitch is coming? What does that do to your processing of that information as to what decision to make next? Um, and so I think it's just something that we should be striving for, for, for any athlete who, who's playing is step one, go get your eyes checked. Where's the next step then? You know, say say their eyesight is good and, and they're in range of what you want. Where's the next step then? Yeah, so the next step is to take a look at the system called the binocular system, right? So how do your eyes actually function together? Um, because individually, each eye could be seeing really well, but if there's a misalignment, if there's a... Um, a vergence issue, which is how your eyes come together or go apart called convergence and divergence. If there's a problem within your focusing system, which is your accommodative system, um, how does that affect how you play, right? Like that needs to be evaluated. And unfortunately in general optometry, if you go to lens crafters or vision works or these different places, they're not checking that stuff as in depth as it should be checked. And we really need a different level of evaluation for these athletes specifically. Cause that, think, does that feed into the depth perception piece then to the binocular piece? hundred percent. Yep. So depth perception is essentially how your eyes perceive an object at distance up close and being able to make those different notice, like different notice points that far away up close and judging that, that depth. So if there's a misalignment, you're not going to judge that depth as accurately as somebody else who has a really good uh, alignment. So what are the steps then to, to take to kind of check the binocular piece? Um, so yeah, so we, we take a look through the vision evaluation in, uh, in that spaces we take a look at how strong the visual system is, what your breakpoints are, where, um, how you're functioning on the accommodative test. If you struggle with plus lenses or minus lenses, and working to to uh, evaluate those systems. But then, once we diagnose those problems or issues, then we work on cleaning them up. Yeah. What What are some of the things that you use? It's conversion um, insufficiency, right? So see, yeah, convergence insufficiency is when you have a problem pulling things in together, right? There's not a whole lot of strength within that system. And so if there's not a lot of strength within that system, we use uh, different visual tools. So let's say a Brock string or barrel card or other, other pieces of vision training tools that are not on your computer, not on your, um, your tablet, that we can use to help strengthen that system. Yeah, right. So as a coach, how can I set this up at practice? Maybe is there an area that we can set up where I can can have some maybe charts or things set up where our hitters or our pitchers can go through some things to help them? Yes. So yes, you can do that. My, my feeling on it is I would like optometry to play a huge role in this space. Um, because I think that 
there's a lot of value in our knowledge base for this stuff. So my suggestion would be to find a optometrist who does sports vision in your area and contact them and say, Hey, we would like to set something up or we would like you to con consult with us or we would like you to run our team through training or wh whatever that might be. Because ultimately if everybody else is out there trying to say that they're doing vision training, but they're doing it just for the look of it, this all gets lost, right? This gets lost in the shuffle. It's you're going to have these charts just hanging on the wall that nobody uses. You're going to have, uh, you know, all these different tools and pieces of equipment that everybody thinks are cool now, but they're not going to be used the right way. They're not going to be there. The coaches aren't going to find value in them because they aren't being used uh, appropriately or as extensively as they should, or on guys who should be using them. And so I think ultimately that will, in five years, I think that will fail if that's the route that we, that we try to go. But if optometry takes a genuine stance and say, hey, we want to be really involved in this, this is our space, and we are the experts in this space, then I think that we can really do really good work. Yeah, and you sent me some strobe training stuff too. So can you dive into the strobe training piece? Because I, I thought that was fascinating, you know, especially with badminton, tennis. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the research that's out there with the strobe training? Yeah, so um, there's a company called Synaptec. Have you heard of Synaptec before? Um, so they do awesome stuff. I think they're the leaders in the sports vision realm. Um, they developed these uh, these strobe glasses, actually with Nike probably 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and so they've been slowly making these more marketable, more attractive, more comfortable, more like widespread. And so they have these glasses called Synaptec strobe glasses, which are phenomenal. I use them every single day in all of my training. Um, and what they do is they shutter right they they go on and off at us at a certain rate level one the shutter is really really fast so you're able to still see what you need to see but it's based on the principle called stroboscopic training which if you take a certain amount of visual information away it helps to increase how fast your brain actually works and so if you use those in training or you use those in um you know, normal drills that you that you normally do, it'll help the actual the, the processing of information. It's not really helping your eyes or the physiology of your eyes, but it's helping the brain put those pieces of the puzzle together faster or be just more efficient on how it does that. Because that's the guess piece. I mean, you have the visual acuity, you have the binocular piece, but then it's the guess piece that a ball coming out of the hand, especially for a hitter, a ball coming out of the pitcher's hand is going to end up at this part at the plate because that, that's the guess piece. And, and the elite hitters, they process that quicker. They can understand that the ball coming out at this trajectory is going to end up at this place at the plate. Yep. Yeah, and we're really talking about – so with, with elite-level hitters, we're, we're actually probably like a two- or three-step process to get to even see the ball, right? So first they're looking at the pitcher's bill of his cap or whatever they're taught – to look at, but then you have to make this little, what we call a micro saccade to where his hand is going to be. Now you're having to predict where his hand is normally at. And based on where it's at, you're figuring out, okay, that's probably a curveball, probably a slider. 
And then you're looking at his wrist placement as to where that ball is coming. And then you're looking at, okay, the, the small tail of it as much as you can get as to where it'll actually end up. And so really the decision is made in that first picture that you're trying to pick up. And that's really where all the money is, right? If you can figure out how to get better at that spot, that's the game. Yeah, right. it's, it's, it's fascinating how all of that is. You know, they did the overlay with Mariano Rivera, like every pitch that he threw, and this is why he was so good, because every pitch that he threw, the first 10 feet looked the exact same. And then after that, the spread was sometimes mm -hmm. the ball went left, sometimes it went right. And, you know, that's why pitchers have done such a good job lately of tunneling their stuff, which is also why you're seeing at the big league level why they're not letting their starters go that third time through the order because elite hitters are going to pick up things after a while, whether it's their pitches or something with their release. So that's why you're not seeing starters go as deep at, at the big league level now too, is because they don't want the hitter to have an extra look at the pitcher. Right. And if that's a, if that's a skill that we can teach more kids, right. If we can clean them up visually, like we can now take, the sample size of we maybe have one kid on an entire league that might make it to the majors. Maybe now we can take it to two because a, they're visually clean, B their visual system is a lot better. And now they can make that connection a little bit faster. And so there's this like weeding out, I think at the youth level where there might not have to be like, you can probably progress more kids up better. And by doing that, we're creating just a better sport by making them better initially. Um, and so I think, I think ultimately that's what I'm after is how do we take these middle school, high school level kids who prob who probably have really good, really good stuff, but they're missing like just a little component. There's something just a little bit off. And I think that's where we can come in and help clean some stuff up. Yeah. Cause it, hitting is so hard. This is why hitting is hard. Um, you know, it, it's so, such a difficult thing to do where if you can clean up uh, just a couple small things here and they can see better, make better evaluations, that's, that's all really hitting is. And that's what you can boil it down to. If you can allow them to process quicker, see better, they got a better opportunity, at least getting the ball barrel on the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I've worked with Butler for, this will be season three now and we have seen such an improvement, like we're talking like eight, 9% in an increase in their walks, eight or 9%, and then a decrease in their strikeouts of about six or 7%. So when we take that into account as to adding a piece of something that they don't normally do, like the vision training to a team, that's big for the course of the season. I mean, that might, I'm not sure what that calculates to, but it's a lot. I mean, if, if you can make that improvement and then, you know, you're improving batting average by X points, um, that's that's important for a team. Kind of walk us through the the calendar then for Butler with what you're doing with, with the team. So, you know, the initial piece and then kind of what you're doing with them through the whole year with the calendar with Butler. Yeah. So with Butler, what we typically do is we'll do an evaluation before the season starts. So we do an evaluation in when we do it in October, November this year, somewhere around there, where we do it real early, like in their fall ball, like right before fall ball starts. We'll do fall ball stuff, and I'll do probably a few training sessions with them once a week for 
three or four hours work with every single guy and we'll do like a like a circuit rotation where they'll come in they'll have a group of three or four guys that i work with i'll have drills set up for each of them specifically we're working on reaction time we're working on peripheral awareness but then in those groups i'll have specified certain guys with deficits things that we need to be working on individually from the vision side of things so this is where i think the optometry part of it is really important because we need to use prism to improve their strength with their base in or base out or whatever they need to work on like we need to be that needs to be monitored by me right in order to know hey we're making improvements or hey we're kind of plateauing what do we do, need to do to change this not push them too fast too hard not mess with their binocular system not not mess things up um be making sure that we're making improvements. So we have an individual guy working on individual stuff while the other guys are doing the drills that we've set up. And then we do a reevaluation in three, four months before the season starts to kind of see where everybody's at again. And then I'll do training with them in season once a week. Um, in an ideal situation, it's two times a week, but we're not in ideal times. So, uh, once a week, if, if we can do that now is good. What's the feedback that you're getting from the players? Love it. I mean, I have two of them hired as interns because they believe in it so much. And then there's probably another two or three that are interested in, in pursuing careers. If they don't make it in baseball into like helping me grow this side of things because of the improvements that they've seen. So, um, you know, that's just really fun validation for them to get excited and hyped about something that's that's so new and emerging that they want to be a part of it um, because they've seen it firsthand. They know what it's done for them and their visual systems and uh, how it can be impactful for other kids. Yeah, seeing is everything, especially yeah. on the hitting side and even on the pitching side, you know, being able to lock into a target more efficiently as a pitcher that helps it helps on both sides defensively it helps being able to track the ball better like it just opens up everything our sport is really linked into the vision side of it um if, if you see better and that every hitter will tell you if they're not going well it's because they're not seeing the ball I'm just not seeing it how many times you hear that I'm not seeing it coach I just don't see it well some of it's the vision piece timing there's a lot that goes into it but the the seeing part if you see better you're going to feel much more confident going in there yeah. And, and it's so funny because like you, there's so many like little tweaks that we can make to help them out from a vision side of it that you don't even think about, right? Like if it's a right-handed hitter and he's right eye dominant and he's facing a right-handed pitcher or a pitcher who throws sidearm, he's probably not even catching it with his dominant eye at all. And that's probably not something that runs through 95% of coaches thought process, right? So if we open up his stance a little bit, he catches it better with his right eye now he's hitting it a little bit better. Yep. I mean, there's just little tweaks and little things that it just needs to be a focus, I think, for, for coaches and for optometrists and to like work this out because there is such a, a need for it in, in the baseball side of things. Every, in every sport, really, they just aren't as, as adaptable as baseball is to it, right? Like you guys see the, the, the vision piece is super important. You sent a bunch of concussion stuff too, and I was lucky. We didn't have too many concussions when I was coaching, but 
you know, can you just kind of go over just some of the research that you're seeing that that has opened up some things on the concussion side? Because for me, I know the baseline was tough for players, but then as a coach, you just felt kind of lost. If you did have somebody get a concussion, you know, you just kind of felt lost with the protocol piece on it. Again, I think vision needs to be involved in the concussion discussion because so much of the visual system is connected to the brain through the pathways that we that are usually affected by a concussion that I think it's something crazy like 85 to 90 percent of concussions have a visual component to it which is it's it's shocking that we're not like okay all of all of your team you have to go get an eye exam to baseline before we start the season. That's a requirement. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand why that is not a requirement now because a, it accomplishes a couple of different things. Hey, are, are you seeing everything that you need to be seeing? Good. Are we establishing a good baseline for your concussions? Yeah. Good. Good. Let's, let's get those two things out of the way. So if something does happen, we know where the problem is. And as a coach, I would want that for all of my players. Um, I think, Ultimately, it's going to make you a better team anyways, but it's also going to make the team safer. It's going to make return to play safer. It's going to kind of give mom and dad that feeling of, hey, coach really cares about all of our kids and that we're that we're doing the right things and that we're safe out here. Um, and so you feel I like it think, eventually gets guys back on the field quicker, too, if, if we know that side of it. Yes, because I think that's that's the selling point for coaches. Like, okay, this is probably going to get your players back on the the field a little bit quicker if we know all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. So with 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 concussions, you can get a concussion and go get an MRI, and they say no no brain hemorrhages. Just go ahead and sleep it off, or you know, it'll take two weeks. You'll recover and you'll be fine. It's not always the case because it's not always as simple as that. Where if the visual system is affected, they're going to struggle for much longer than that. And if they get a second concussion within that, within a certain time period, they're going to have post-concussive syndrome disorder. And like, we don't want those things for them because that could. Concussion and he was out for a long time. Does that affect your team when your best player is out? period of time because necessary concussion protocols weren't followed yeah that that and that was the guessing piece as, as a coach you know is is when you had somebody out it was like okay when are they going to get back and and again you're trying to do what's best for them as well you don't want to rest somebody back that's right but you don't know for sure so it's kind of, it is kind of just this guessing piece right so if you have an optometrist who says okay now they're back to their their baseline numbers they should be good from the vision side of things. Maybe they might need another few days, but they're good here. Or you can say, okay, they are still having issues. We still need to work on these vision therapy type of things to help bring them back quicker versus just rest, which might make them out for four weeks when we could get them back in two. Is that kind of what the, the question you were asking? Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, yeah, I think as coaches, it's because you're not. That's something you you don't have a feel for as a coach. Is is concussions? You just don't. It's not something you go to school for. You don't study it much. Um, you know it happens. In baseball, we're lucky it doesn't happen too often. But 
Mm-hmm. It's going to be your main guys. You know, you, obviously it's going to be one of your starters if if they get a concussion. So you're going to want to try to get them back as quick as you can. Right. Do you feel like the human brain has evolved over time, or are we just learning more about the human brain now than, than we have in the past and the eyes? Because the eyes are, are the brain on the outside of the body, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, evolved. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I think there's an evolution to it, but I think that we're finding that the brain is much more neuroplastic than we thought previously, meaning that there's a lot more malleability within that meaning we can make improvements that we might not have thought possible before like we thought that there was this like brain growth period from zero to 15 and pretty much past that point like you're going to make little gains but now we're finding that you can make much bigger improvements uh even if you're 25 30 years old so uh i think i think the more that we focus on brain health and brain neuroplasticity and all those all those subcomponents i think the longer we'll find brain health alzheimer's parkinson's all of those things are connected back to all of this stuff yeah and, and the website's arieselitesportsvision.com what what can coaches find on the website um so they can find some good research articles they can find other podcasts that i've done they can find um, my in- contact information, if that's something that they want to have a discussion about, um, my services in the future, if they want to take a look at kind of a little bit more of what this looks like, they can go to my Instagram, which is at Aries Elite Sports Vision One, um, which gives kind of a, just a, a little bit more of an in-depth look as to what the actual training looks like and kind of um, uh, gives you that like feel for it versus the abstract thought of, okay, they're talking vision training, but I don't really know what that is. And, um, so it gets a good visual representation, I think. I mean, what are some other, you talked about podcasts, what are some other podcasts to jump in that, that you feel like would help or books? Um, books. I think the, uh, the performance cortex is a good book, uh, a really good book actually. Um, there's a, if you guys are interested in about concussion, there's another good book called Concussion Manual, the Concussion Manual. Uh, who wrote that? I can't think of the author off the top of my head. Uh, but it's a really good book about uh, like supplements and other types of like homeopathic stuff we should be considering and things that, how it affects the brain and how that stuff uh, is a kind of all. What are some supplements that would help? Uh, usually... You're gonna, I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, I can get you a list if yeah. you want me to. Yeah, uh, I, can't, be... I can't. They're like these long, complicated DH. Yeah. <laughs> just... yeah. So yeah, I'll attach it into the to the podcast just for anybody okay. that wants to dive into a little bit more from the homeopathic side. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that there's just a uh, a wealth of. Uh, information on Google Scholar that if you're interested in what the visual system and uh, sports, how they are related, I think you can do a simple Google search. And if you're really ambitious, go through some of that research. Uh, I think there's a lot to be learned within that space and a lot of that 
even if you're not comfortable with it, I think reaching out to other optometrists who might be in your area um, would be a, would be a good path forward. Yeah, I've always told coaches that like there's probably someone in your area that can help. You just got to you got to reach out to somebody because I think people are more than willing to help, but if if you don't reach out, then they don't know. So that's part of your job as a coach is to find every resource in your area that can help your your team, your program, you individually. That's part of your job as a coach now. Yeah, and I think I think the field of sports vision optometry is so new, or it's not. I mean, it's not new, but it's kind of emerging now. I think that more people are finding interest in it and really wanting to dig into it. And I think there will be a lot more in the next five years who come out of school and say, this is what I want to do. So there might not be a wide net yet, but I think that there will be. Uh, and so, I mean, even, even contacting just a, a general optometrist who might be at your private practice, they will have more knowledge about some of these things than other coaches or you know, people off the street type of situation. Do you have a fail forward moment? I, I asked this of everybody, something that you thought was going to sidetrack you along the way, but looking back now, it might be the best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah. Uh, losing my job in 2018 when I started the business, um, you know, it was, it was an area that I was not happy in. And I think that that showed, um, and it was one of those things where you really sit back and look through what your values are, what you want out of your life. I, we had just had a daughter six months previous and they wanted me to travel to all these different places in the state. And I'm like, I am not willing to do that. Like if that's the way that, that you want me to be, I'm not going to be that guy for you. Uh, and so ultimately I think they were just like, well, we need to find somebody else who will do that stuff. And I think that's really where the the breaking point was, was I like, I'm going to spend time with my family and you know, that's, that's important to me. And I wasn't willing to compromise on that stuff. And I couldn't look my daughter in her face and tell her, go pursue your dreams if I wasn't doing it. And it was one of those moments where it was just, let's go, let's, let's figure it out. I love it. You know, I, I sometimes life gives you those little nudges where it's, you don't always realize it at the time, but then you look back, you're like, okay, yeah, life was trying to point me in this direction and it is scary, but you got to take that leap sometimes because it is going to be the best thing that, that happens for you. Well, and if it's, and if, if there's always like this, like little idea that's sitting in the back of your head and you're like, I want to do that and you don't do it, you're going to regret that for the rest of your life. And that, that regret is scary. That's terrifying to, to be, 85 years old and not have lived what you wanted to live. Yeah. It's disheartening so, when you talk to people that have those types of regrets because it just way it's weighed on them for their entire life, which just, and it doesn't need to be that way. It is tough and, and it's hard making those decisions, but it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, there's a quote where most people, most people die at, 30 and are buried at 80 yeah. and that one hit hard. Like I didn't want that to be me. Like knowing this was going to be the, my job for the rest of my life. I was not okay with, with that. And I had to go out and do what I wanted to do with my life. So 
you have any uh, evening or morning routines that you like that you feel like help you stay on top of your schedule? I know it's tough when you got kid, young kids, but do you have do you have any routines that you like? Um, I'm I'm more of an early bird or a, a late bird, so I typically will do a lot of work at night when the kids are asleep and the wife is asleep. So I can get a solid like two or three hours done at night. Um, I think that's just how my body is wired. I've tried the get up at four and work out and all of that. Everybody's stuff. different. I, yeah. I try to tell guys that like my routine has changed over time, but my kids have gotten older and uh, opens up in the morning once your kids get older. But when I had younger kids, it was the same thing. I got most of my stuff done at night and was recruiting. So, you know, as a recruiter, most of your stuff's done at night. So my schedule in the morning was really haphazard, but my evening stuff was great. But now it's flips as my kids have gotten older. But I, I tell people like, that's why you can't look at what everybody else is doing because you really do have to find what works for you individually. Yeah. I think if, if I tried to be like super productive in the mornings, I think I would, it would not work well because of the kids being four and two. Like yes. they, I can't predict what they're going to do. You're going to white knuckle it in the mornings yeah. with a four and a two year old because you are at yeah. the will of, of them and what they have to get going and where they're going to be at because they're not going to be on a normal sleep schedule. They may wake up at five 30. Sometimes they might not wake up till right. eight 30 sometimes. So it's yeah. And then throw a pandemic in it on it. <laughs> forget about it. I'll get, I'll get stuff done when I get it done. And then when they're older, we'll figure the rest of it out. Exactly. What final thoughts do you have or anything that I missed? Nothing. I think you did. I think you did a great job. Um, hopefully I did. Okay. Um, I think, I think I want people to know like how important vision is for kids just in general, not necessarily related to sports, but functioning in school and that's a big one too like if they're not seeing well good luck in the classroom side of things too because they're gonna have a hard time reading just any of this stuff that you need to, to stay on top of your schoolwork. if you're not seeing well that's gonna affect everything in the classroom as well yeah and i i find it there's a, a huge connection between adhd and visual problems and, you know, I think there's a bunch of subgroups of kids who get kind of left behind because of issues that might not be issues that, okay, let's medicate them. Well, have they had their eyes checked by a, by a specialist? Like, ha And so I think there's just this huge connection between athletes and that ADHD specifically that there's probably a vision issue somewhere interconnected. And so I'm just finding a lot of high prevalence within that and like yeah sports are sports are great like that's my bread and butter but if we can really help these kids be successful in school it only helps them for the rest of their lives because most of them are not going to play sports how, no matter how much mom and dad want them to or how good they think they are like most of them are not going to do this for the rest of their lives but they're going to need to be successful human beings for the rest of their lives so i just don't want those kids to be to be being left behind and underdiagnosed. Joe, Dr. Joe Eisenman and, and Jimmy are on our youth committee. Um, and we are a adding a strength conditioning component into the into the convention now where this might be something that kind of falls in line with that as well. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Uh, 
yeah, so in the next couple months, I'll be the optometrist for the NCAA Final Four. Love it. Here in Indy. And then in May, I'm doing a research study on IndyCar drivers. Okay, nice. How, how their visual systems function before and then how they function directly after a their race, essentially. Okay. Uh, so we'll be doing some of that research at the, the Indy GP. Cool. Well, yeah, because that, I mean, for that, I, that's interesting because they have to expend so much energy and concentration and focus during the races that yeah, from so a recovery standpoint, like that, that's interest. That stuff's intriguing to me too, from a rest and recovery standpoint. Yeah, we're looking at, so I'm doing it with a, 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 a researcher, a professor out of Michigan State that we're looking to see, is there a breakdown in their visual system? Is yep. there a breakdown in their cognition? Is there a breakdown with their prefrontal lobe and how they process information towards the end of races? Is there a higher incidence of Rex. yeah, related to that? Like, where's, where's that relation? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's where we're, that's where we're looking for, for that. So there might be nothing there. But, yeah, but there might, but you know how much data has been collected to this point, but I'm sure you could track every race that's ever been driven and figure out where wrecks are happening or, you know, mm -hmm. decision-making is broken down from not just in crashes, but also in the pit, you know, some of that funky stuff that happens in the pit, like at, yep. at, with crew, you know, all that stuff's interconnected as you start to wear down and get tired and baseball, same thing, you know, they're... Yep. Once they get tired, their decision-making goes out the window as well. Yeah, and I'm doing a lot of that research stuff in office as well where I'm tracking, like I'm physically fatiguing them and then yep. making them have to make these cognitive decisions over and over and over and seeing where that breakdown is. So yeah. it'll be interesting stuff, I think, moving forward, but it's still in the collection phase of yeah. things. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Sweet. Dr. Joe, I appreciate it. Tell the Butler staff I said what's up. We go way back. Uh, okay. Coach Schrag and I go way back. Everybody over there, Coach Montgomery played for me. So um, appreciate it. And, yeah, when you run into those guys, tell them I said, hey. Awesome. Yeah, you couldn't ask for a better group of guys. Yeah. So Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate Dr. LaPlaca for jumping on with me. It's a topic I definitely feel like I could have done a better job at as a coach. We have a long way to go in understanding vision and how it affects performance. Hope this gives you all a head start on how to implement vision training. I know that we have some programs out there doing a great job, so if you need a push in the right direction, hit me up and I can get you connected. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.